Part two of Child Christopher and Goldilyn the Fair by William Morris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six How Rolf the Marshal Dreams a Dream and Comes to the Castle of the Uttermost March. Now this same summer, when King Christopher was of twenty years and two, Rolf the Marshal, sleeping one noontide in the King's garden at Oakenham, dreamed a dream for him seemed that there came through the garth gate a woman fair and tall and clad in naught but oaken leaves who led by the hand an exceedingly goodly young man of twenty summers and his visage like to the last battle-dead king of oakenrealm when he was a young man and the said woman led the swain up to the marshal who asked in his mind what these two were and the woman answered his thought and said i am the woman of the woods and the land white of oakenrealm and this lovely lad whose hand i hold is my king and thy king and the king of oakenrealm wake fool wake and look to it what thou wilt do and therewith he woke up crying out and drew forth his sword but when he was fully awakened he was ashamed and went into the hall and sat in his high seat and strove to think out of his troubled mind but for all he might do he fell asleep again and again in the hall he dreamed as he had dreamed in the garden and when he awoke from his dream he had no thought in his head but how he might the speediest come to the house of lord richard the lean and look to the matter of his lord's son and see him with his eyes and if it might be take some measure with the threat which lay in the lad's life nought he tarried but set off in an hour's time with no more company than four men-at-arms and an old squire of his who was wont to do his bidding without question whether it were good or evil so they went by frith and fell by wood and fair ways till in two days time they were come by undern within sight of the castle of the outer march and entered into the street of the thorpe aforesaid and they saw that there were no folk therein and at the house doors save old carls and carlines scarce wayworthy and little children who might not go afoot but from the field anigh the thorpe came the sound of shouting and glad voices and through the lanes of the houses they saw on the field many people in gay raiment going to and fro as though there were games and sports toward thereof lord rolf he did nought but went his ways straight to the castle and was brought with all honour into the hall and thither came lord richard the lean hastening and half afeard and did obeisance to him and there were but a few in the hall, and they stood out of earshot of the two lords. The marshal spoke graciously to Lord Richard, and made him sit beside him, and said in a soft voice, We have come to see thee, lord, and how the folk do in the uttermost marches. Also we would wot how it goes with a lad whom we sent to thee when he was yet a babe, whereat he was some by-blow of the late king, our lord and master, and we deemed thee both rich enough and kind enough to breed him into thriving without increasing pride upon him and firstly is the lad yet alive he knitted his brow as he spake for carefulness of soul but lord richard smiled upon him though as one somewhat troubled and answered lord marshal i thank thee for visiting this poor house and i shall tell thee first that the lad lives and hath thriven marvellously though he be somewhat unruly and will abide no correction now these last six years sooth to say there is now no story of his being anywise akin to our late lord king though true it is that folk in this far-away corner of the land call him king christopher 
but only in a manner of jesting but it is no jest wherein they say they will gainsay him naught and that especially the young women yet i will say of him that he is wise and asketh not overmuch the more is the sorrow of many of the maidens a fell woodsman he is and exceeding stark and as yet heedeth more of valiance than of the love of woman the marshal looked no less troubled than before at these words he said i would see this young man speedily so shall it be lord said lord richard therewith he called to him a squire and said go thou down into the thorpe and bring hither christopher for that a great lord is here who would set him to do a deed of woodcraft such is more than the want of men so the squire went his ways and was gone a little while and meantime drew nigh to the hall a sound of triumphing songs and shouts and right up to the hall doors then entered the squire and by his side came a tall young man clad but in a white linen shirt and deerskin brogues his head crowned with a garland of flowers him the squire brought up to the lords on the dais and louted to them and said my lords i bring you christopher and he not over willing for now hath he been but just crowned king of the games down yonder but when the carls and queens there said that they would come with him and bear him company to the hall doors then forsooth he yea said the coming it were not a meet that some shame were done him peace man said lord richard what hath this to do with thee seest thou not the lord marshal here the lord rolf sat and gazed on the lad and scowled on him but christopher saw therein naught but the face of a great lord burdened with many cares so when he had made obeisance he stood up fearlessly and merrily before them sooth to say he was full fair to look on for all his strength which as ye shall hear was mighty all the fashion of his limbs and his body was light and clean done and beauteous and though his skin where it showed naked was all tanned with the summer it was fine and sleek and kindly every deal thereof bright-eyed and round-cheeked he was with full lips and carven chin and his hair golden-brown of hue and curling crisp about the blossoms of his garland so must we say that he was such an youngling as most might have been in the world had not man's malice been and the mischief of grudging and the marring of grasping but now spake lord rolf sir varlet they tell me that thou art a mighty hunter and of mickle guile in woodcraft wilt thou then hunt somewhat for me and bring me home a catch seldom seen yea lord king said christopher i will at least do my best if thou but tell me where to seek the quarry and when it is well said the marshal and to-morrow my squire whom thou seest yonder and who hight simon shall tell thee where the hunt is up and thou shalt go with him but hearken thou shalt not call me king for to-day there is no king in oakenrealm and i am but marshal and earl of the king that shall be the lad fell amusing for a minute and then he said yea lord marshal i shall do thy will but meseemeth i have heard some tale of one who was but of late king in oakenrealm is it not so lord stint thy talk young man cried the marshal in a harsh voice and abide to-morrow who knoweth who shall be king and whether thou or i shall live to see him but as he spake the words they seemed to his heart like a foretelling of evil and he turned pale and trembled and said to christopher come hither lad i will give thee a gift and then shalt thou depart till to-morrow so christopher drew near to him and the marshal pulled off a ring from his finger and set it on the lad's and said to him now depart in peace 
and Christopher bent the knee to him, and thanked him for the gracious gift of the ruler of Oakenrealm, and then went his ways out of the hall, and the folk without gave a glad cry as he came amongst them. But by then he was come to the door, Lord Rolf looked on his hand, and saw that, instead of giving the youngling a finger-ring which he had bought of a merchant for a price of five peasants, as he had meant to do, he had given him a ring which the old king had had, whereon was the first letter of his name, Christopher to wit, and a device of crowned rose, for this ring was a signet of his. Wherefore was the marshal once more sore troubled, and he arose, and he was half-minded to run down the hall after Christopher, but he refrained him, and presently smiled to himself, and then fell a-talking to Lord Richard, sweetly and pleasantly. So wore the day to evening, but ere he went to bed, the Lord Rolf had a privy talk, first with Lord Richard, and after with his squire Simon. What followed of that talk ye may hear after. Chapter 7. How Christopher went a journey into the Wildwood. Next morning Christopher, who slept in the little hall of the inner court of the castle, arose betimes and came to the great gate. But for as early as he was, there he saw the squire Simon abiding him, standing between two strong horses. To him he gave the seal of the day, and the squire greeted him, but in somewhat surly wise. Then he said to him, Well, King Christopher, art thou ready for the road? Yea, as thou seest, said the youngling, smiling, for indeed he had breeches now beneath his shirt, and a surcoat of green woollen over it, boots of deerskin had he withal, and spurs thereon. He was girt with a short sword, and had a quiver of arrows at his back, and bare a great bow in his hand. Yea, quoth Simon, thou deemest thee a gay swain belike, but thou lookest likelier for a deer-stealer than a rider, hung up to thy shooting gear. Deemest thou we go a-hunting of the hind? Quoth Christopher, I wot not, squire, but the great lord who lieth sleeping yonder hath told me that thou shouldest give me his errand, and of some hunting or feat of woodcraft he spake. Moreover, this crooked stick can drive a shaft through matters harder than a hind side. Simon looked confused, and he reddened and stammered somewhat, as he answered, Ah, yea, so it was, I mind me, I will tell thee anon, said Christopher. With all, squire, if we are wending into the wood, as needs we must, unless we ride round about this dale in a ring all day, dost thou deem we shall go at a gallop many a mile? Nay, fair sir, the horses shall wend a foot's pace oftenest, and we shall go afoot not on seldom through the thickets. Now was Simon come to himself again, and that self was surly, so he said, Ay, ay, little king, thou deemest thee exceeding wise in these woods, dost thou not? And forsooth, thou mayst be. Yet have I tidings for thee. Yea, and what be they? said Christopher. Simon grinned. Even these, said he, that Dr. Knowall was no man's cousin while he lived, and that he died last week. Therewith he swung himself into his saddle, and Christopher laughed merrily at his poor jibe, and mounted in likewise. Wherewithal they rode their ways through the thorp, and at the southern end thereof Simon drew rein, and looked on Christopher, as if he would ask him something, but asked not. Then said Christopher, Whither go we now? Said Simon, It is partly for thee to say, Hearken, I am bidden first to ride the redwater wood with thee. Knowest thou that? Yea, said the lad, full well, but which way shall we ride it? Wilt thou come out of it at Redwater Head, or Hearn Moss, or the Long Pools? Said Simon, We shall make for the Long Pools, if thou canst bring me there. Christopher laughed. Aha, said he, 
then i am some far-away cousin of dr knowall when the whole tale is told forsooth i can lead thee thither but tell me what shall i do of valiant deeds at the long pools for there is no fire drake nor effet nay nor no giant nor guileful dwarf nor save mallard and coot heron and bitten yea and ague shivers to boot simon looked sourly on him and said thou art bidden to go with me young man or gainsay the marshal art thou mighty enough thereto for the rest fear not but that the deed shall come to thee one day nay said christopher it is all one to me for i am at home in these woods and wastes i am my shafts tell me of the deeds when thou wilt but indeed he longed to know the deed and fretted him because of simon's surliness and closeness then he said well squire simon let us to the road for thou shalt know that to-night we must needs house us under the naked heaven in no wise can we come to the long pools before to-morrow morning yea and why not said the squire i have lain in worse places wilt thou tell me thereof said christopher may happen said simon if to-morrow comes and goes for both of us twain so they rode their ways through the wood and baited at midday with what simon bare in his saddle-bags and then went on till night fell on them then asked simon how long they were from the long pools and christopher told him that they were yet short of them some fifteen miles and those long ones because of the marish grounds so they tethered their horses there and ate their supper and lay down to sleep in the house of the woods by a fireside which they lighted but in the midnight christopher who was exceeding fine-eared had an inkling of some one moving afoot anigh him and he awoke therewith and sprang up his drawn short sword in his hand and found himself face to face with simon and he also with his sword drawn simon sprang aback but held up his sword-point and christopher not yet fully awake cried out what what wouldst thou what is it simon answered stammering and all abashed did didst thou not hear it then it wakened me i heard naught said christopher what was it horses going into the wood said simon ah yea said christopher it will have been the wild colts and mares they harbour about these marshland parts go to sleep again neighbour the night is not yet half worn but i will watch a while then simon sheathed his sword and turned about and stood uneasily a little while and then cast him down as one who would sleep hastily but slept not forsooth though he presently made semblance of it as for christopher he drew together the brands of the fire and sat beside it with his blade over his knees until the first beginning of the summer dawn was in the sky then he began to nod and presently lay aback and slept soundly simon slept not but durst not move so they lay till it was broad day and the sunbeams came thrusting through the boughs of the thicket chapter eight christopher comes to the tofts when they arose in the sunshine simon went straightway to see to the horses while christopher stayed by the fire to dight their victuals he was merry enough and sang to himself the while but when simon came back again christopher looked on him sharply but for a while simon would not meet his eye though he asked diverse questions of him concerning little matters as though he were fain to hear christopher's voice at last he raised his eyes and looked on him steadily and then christopher said well wayfarer mine and whither away this morning said simon as thou wottest to the long pools said the lad 
well thou keepest thy tidings so close that i will ask thee no more till we come to the long pools since there forsooth thou must needs tell me unless we send a company there whereof i were naught grieving may happen thou shalt fare a long way to-day muttered simon but the lad cried out aloud while his eye glittered and his cheek flushed belike thou hast well nigh opened the door thereto last night and therewith he leapt to his feet and drew his short sword and with three deft strokes sheared asunder an overhanging beech-bough as thick as a man's wrist that it fell crashing down and caught simon amongst the fall of its leafy twigs while christopher stood laughing on him but with a dangerous lofty look in his eyes then he turned away quietly toward the horses and mounted his nag and simon followed and did the like silently crestfallen he looked with brooding fierceness in his face so they rode their ways and spake but little to each other till they came to where the trees of the wood thinned speedily and gave out at last at the foot of a low stony slope but little grassed and when they had ridden up to the brow and could see below christopher stretched out his hand and said lo thou the long pools fellow wayfarer and lo some of the tramping horses that woke thee and not me last night forsooth there lay below them a great stretch of grass which whiles ran into mere quagmire and whiles was sound and better grassed and the said plain was seamed by three long shallow pools with as it were grassy causeways between them grown over here and there with ancient alder trees but the stony slope whereon they had reined up bent round the plain mostly to the east as though it were the shore of a great water and far away to the south the hills of the forest rose up blue and not so low at the most but that they were somewhat higher than the crest of the white horse as ye may see it from the little berkshire hills above the thames down on the firm greensward there was indeed a herd of wild horses feeding mallard and coot swam about the waters the wimbrel laughed from the bent sides and three herons stood on the side of the causeway seeking a good fishing stead simon sat a horseback looking askance from the marish to christopher and said nothing a while then he spake in a low croaking voice and said so little king we have come to the long pools now i will ask thee hast thou been further southward than this marish land that have i said the lad a day's journey further but according to the tales of men it was at the peril of my life simon seemed as if he had not noted his last word he said well then since thou knowest the wild and the wood knowest thou amidst of the thickets there two lumps of bare hills like bowls turned bottom up that rise above the trees and on each a tower and betwixt them a long house save us all hallows quoth christopher but thou wilt mean the toffs is it so sir squire even so said simon and thou knowest what dwellest there and wouldst have me lead thee thither said the lad i am so bidden said simon if thou wilt not do my bidding seek thou some place to hide thee in from the hand of the earl marshal said the youngling knowest thou not jack of the toffs and his seven sons and what he is and that he dwelleth there said simon i know of him yea and himself i know and that he dwelleth there and i wot that men call him an outlaw and that many rich men shall lack ere he lacks what then this said christopher that as all tales tell he will take my life if i ride thither and said he turning to simon this is belike what thou wouldest with me and therewith he drew out his sword for his bow was unstrung 
but simon sat still and let his sword abide and said sourly enough thou art a fool to think i am training thee to thy death by him for i have no will to die and why shall he not slay me also now again i say unto thee thou hast the choice either to lead me to the toffs where shall be the deed for thee to do or to hide thee in some hole as i said afore from the vengeance of the lord of oakenrealm but as for thy sword thou mayst put it up for i will not fight with thee but rather let thee go with a string to thy leg if thou wilt not be wise and do as thy lords ordain for thee christopher sheathed his sword and a smile came into his face as if some new thought were stirring in him and he said well since thou wilt not fight with me and i but a lad i will e'en do thy will and thine errand to jack of the toffs maybe he is not so black as he is painted and not all tales told of him are true but some of them i will tell thee as we ride along and some thereof i know already o woodland knight said simon as they rode down the bent and christopher led on toward the green causeway betwixt the waters tell me quoth he when they had ridden a while is one of thy tales how jack of the toffs went to the yule feast of a great baron in the guise of a minstrel and even as they bore in the boar's head smote the said baron on the neck so that his head lay by the head of the swine on the christmas board yea said christopher and how jack cried out two heads of swine one good to eat one good to burn but my master thou shalt know that this manslaying was not for naught whereas the baron of greenlake had erewhile slain jack's father in felon wise where he could strike no stroke for life and two of his brethren also had he slain and made the said jack an outlaw and he all sackless in the uttermost march we deemed that he had a case against the baron ha huh? said simon is this next tale true that this jack of the toffs slew a good knight before the altar so that the priest's mass hackle was all wet with his blood whereas the said priest was in the act of putting the holy body into the open mouth of the said knight christopher said eagerly true was it by the rood and well was it done for that same sir raoul was an ugly traitor who had knelt down where he died to wed the body of the lord to a foul lie in his mouth whereas the man who knelt beside him he had trained to his destruction and was even then doing the first deal of his treason by forswearing him there then that man who knelt with him there said simon what be to him said christopher he went out of the church with jack of the toffs that minute of the stroke and to the toffs he went with him and abode with him freely and a valiant man he was and is ha said simon again and then there is this that the seven sons of jack of the toffs bore off perforce four fair maidens of gentle blood from the castle wherein they dwelt serving a high dame in all honour and that moreover they hanged the said dame over the battlements of her own castle is this true fair sir true is it as the gospel said christopher yet many say that the hanged dame had somewhat less than her deserts for a foul and cruel whore had she been and done many to be done to death and stood by while they were pined and the like she had done with those four damsels had there not been the stout sons of jack of the toffs so that the dear maidens were somewhat more than willing to be borne away simon grinned well lad said he i see that thou knowest jack of the toffs even better than i do so why in the devil's name thou art loath to lead me to him i wot not christopher reddened and held his peace a while then he said well fellow fairer at least i shall know something of him ere next midnight yea said simon and shall we not come to the toffs before nightfall let us assay it said christopher and do our best it yet lacketh three hours of noon therewith he spurred on for the greensward was hard under the hoofs 
and they had yet some way to go before they should come amongst the trees and thickets into the said wood they came and rode all day diligently but night fell on them before they saw either house or man or devil then said simon why should we go any further before dawn will it not be best to come to this perilous house by daylight said christopher there be perils in the wood as well as in the house if we lie down here maybe jack's folk may come upon us sleeping and some mischance may befall us withal hereabouts be no wild horses to wake thee and warn thee of thy foeman and i let us press on there is a moon though she be somewhat hidden by clouds and meseemeth the way lieth clear before me neither are we a great way from the tofts then simon rode close up to christopher and took his rein and stayed him and said to him as one who prayeth young man willest thou my death that is as it may be said christopher willest thou mine simon held his peace a while and christopher might not see what was in his face amidst the gathering dusk but he twitched his rein out of the squire's hand as if he would hasten onward then the squire said nay i pray thee abide and hear a word of me speak then said christopher but hasten for i hunger and i would we were in the hall and therewith he laughed said simon thus it is if i go back to my lord and bear no token of having done his errand to jack of the tofts then am i in evil case and if i come to the tofts i wot well that jack is a man fierce of heart and ready of hand now therefore i pray thee give me thy word to be my warrant so far as thou mayst be with this woodman and his sons at that word christopher brake out a laughing loudly till all the dusk wood rang with the merry sound of his fresh voice at last he said well well thou art but a craven to be a secret murderer the lord god would have had an easy bargain of cain had he been such as thou come on and do thine errand to jack of the tofts and i will hold thee harmless so far as i may though sooth to say i guessed what thine errand was after the horses waked thee and put a naked sword in thine hand last night marry i had no inkling of it when we left the castle yesterday morning but deem thy lord needed me to do him some service come on then or rather go thou on before me apace there where thou seest the glimmer betwixt the beech-trees yonder if thou goest astray i am anigh thee for a guide and i say that we shall not go far without tidings simon went on perforce as he was bidden and they rode thus a while slowly christopher now and then crying as they went to the right squire to the left straight on now and so on but suddenly they heard voices and it was as if the wood had all burst out into fire so bright a light shone out christopher shouted and hastened on to pass simon going quite close to his right side thereby and as he did so he saw steel flashing in his hand and turned sidling to guard him but ere he could do aught simon drave a broad dagger into his side and then turned about and fled the way they had come so far as he knew how christopher fell from his horse at once as the stroke came home but straightway therewith were there men with torches round about him a dozen of them men tall and wild-looking in the firelight and one of them a slim young man with long red hair falling all about his shoulders knelt down by him while the others held his horse and gat his feet out of the stirrups the redhead laid his hand on his breast and raised his head up till the light of a torch fell on it and then he cried out masters here hath been a felon the man hath been sticked and the deed hath to do with us for lo you 
this is none other than the little christopher of the uttermost march who stumbled on the toffs last yule and with whom we were so merry together here thou robert of maisie do thy leechdom on him if he be yet living but if he be dead or dieth of his hurt then do i take the feud on me to follow it to the utmost against the slayer even i david the red though i be the youngest of the sons of jack of the tofts for this man i meant should be my fellow in field and fell ganging and galloping in hall and high place in cot and in choir before woman and warrior and priest and proud prince now thou robert how does he said the man who had looked to christopher's wound and had put aside his coat and shirt he is so hurt but me seemeth not deadly nay belike he may live as long as thou a longer whereas thou wilt ever be shoving thy red head and lank body wheresoever knocks are going david rose with a sigh of one who is lightened of a load and said well robert when thou hast bound his wound let us have him into the house oh lads there is light enough to cut some boughs and make a litter for him but oh again has no one gone after the felon to take him robert grinned up from his job with the hurt man nay king david said he it is mostly thy business mayhappen thou wilt lay thy heels on thy neck and after him the redhead stamped on the ground and half drew his sacks and shoved it back again on to the sheath and then said angrily i marvel at thee robert that thou didst not send a man or two at once after the felon how may i leave my comrade and sweet board fellow lying hurt in the wildwood art thou growing over old for our woodland ways wherein loitering bringeth louting robert chuckled and said i thought thou wouldst take the fly in thy mouth foster son if the felon escape ralph longshanks and anthony green then hath he the devil's look and they be after him that is well said the young man though i would i were with them and therewith he walked up and down impatiently while the others were getting ready the litter of boughs at last it was done and christopher laid thereon and they all went on together through the woodland path the torches still flaring about them presently they came out into a clearing of the wood and lo looming great and black before them against the sky where the moon had now broken out of the clouds somewhat the masses of the toffs and at the top of the northernmost of them a light in the upper window of a tall square tower withal the yellow litten windows of a long house showed on the plain below the tofts but little else of the house might be seen save that as they drew near the walls break out in doubtful light here and there as the torches smote them so came they to a deep porch where they quenched all the torches save one and entered a great hall through it david and two other tall young men going first and robert maisie going beside the bier the said hall was lighted with candles but not very brightly save at the upper end but amidmost a flickering heap of logs sent a thin line of blue smoke up to the luffer there were some sixty folk in the hall scattered about the end-long tables a good few of whom were women well grown and comely enough so far as could be seen under the scanty candlelight at the high table withal were sitting both men and women and as they drew near to the greater light of it there could be seen in the chief seat a man past middle age tall wide-shouldered and thin-flanked with a short peaked beard and close-cut grizzled hair he was high of cheekbones thin-faced with grey eyes both big and gentle-looking he was clad in a green coat welted with gold beside him sat a woman tall and big-made 
but very fair of face, though she were little younger belike than the man. Out from these two sat four men and four women, man by man and woman by woman, on either side of the high seat. Of the said men, one was of long red hair as David, and like to him in all wise but older. The others were of like fashion to him in the high seat. Shortly to say it, his sons they were, as David and the two young men with him. The four women who sat with these men were all fair and young, and one of them, she who drank out of the redhead's cup, so fair and with such a pleasant slim grace, that her like were not easy to be found. Again, to shorten the tale, there in the hall before Christopher, who lay on Watting, were Jack of the Toffs and his seven sons, and the four wives of four of the same, whom they had won from the Waleful Castle, when they, with their father, put an end to the evil woman and the great she-tyrant of the land betwixt the wood and the river. Now when David and his were come up to the dais, they stayed them, and their father spake from his high seat, and said, What is it to do, ye three, and what catch of thee? Said David, I would fain hope tis the catch of a life that or I love, for here is come thy guest of last Yule, and even little Christopher, who wrestled with thee, and threw thee after thou hadst thrown all of us, and he, lying along and hurt, smitten down by a felon hard on our very doors. What will ye do with him? What? said Jack of the Toffs. But tend him and heal him, and cherish him. And when he's well, then we shall see. But where is the felon who smote him? said David. He fled away a horseback ere we came to the field of deed, and Anthony Green and Ralph Longshanks are gone after him, and belike will take him. May happen not, said the master. Now, forsooth, I have an inkling of what this may mean, whereas there can be but one man whose business may be the taking of our little guest's life. But let all be till he be healed, and may tell us his tale, and if he telleth it as I deem he will, then shall we seek further tidings. Meanwhile, if ye take the felon, keep him heedfully till I may see him, for then may I have a true tale out of him, even before Christopher is hale again. So therewith David and Robert, with two or three others, brought Christopher to a chamber, and did what leechdoms to him as they might. But Jack of the Tofts and his sons and their fair wives and his other folk made merry in the hall of the Tofts. End of part two.